I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, this is this is gonna be really fun. Um, this is something that I wasn't really sure if it was gonna if it was gonna come to fruition. Uh, I I read an article that someone had uh, sent my way. I think it was someone one in of our, our patrons. In our, yeah, one of our patrons in our Discord sent us an article about um, that was primarily about sperm donation, um, but heavily focused on our guest today, Ari, uh, who is referred to as the Sperminator. At least in this article. <laughs> and first of all, that is the best nickname I think I've ever heard. We just want to thank you for coming on our show. Oh, wow, bro. Oh, okay. My all pleasure. Right. If, you, um, <laughs> if you want to take over that moniker, uh, be my guest. You know? I, I, honestly, I, I might be changing my, uh, my, my gamer tag to Sperminator. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, I want a moniker without sperm in the name, personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, America's, okay. America's dead, or I don't know, something. You know, Inseminator is even better, or something more superhero-like. You know, Ejaculator would be better. I think anything's an improvement from Sperminator. Okay, so where did Sperminator come from? And also, like, how do you actually feel about the, about the moniker Sperminator? You know, my kids don't call me Sperminator. They just call me dad. You know, let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, why don't why don't you tell us why yeah, you were, the, why you were five years that. ago? The New York Post uh, did an article on me. They said, you know, it's Father's Day. We're doing a profile on a couple of different dads, and uh, you know, do you want to be featured as one of the dads in the article because of your modern family? And I said, sure, why not? You know, I thought it would be here today, gone tomorrow. And then, of course, uh, there were no other dads. It was a big setup, and then they put me on the cover, and they dubbed me the Sperminator. The actual headline was. Great balls of sire, and then uh, inside the article, they dubbed me the Sperminator. You know, right? They said so, Ari Nagel at your cervix. It's like a tabloid newspaper. If oh, you're not yeah. familiar with the yeah. uh, New York Post, what's funny is this: that the original Sperminator is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the Terminator, and then he had a child out of wedlock with his nanny while right. he was married, and they dubbed him the Sperminator. So when you Google ah. Sperminator, it used to be you just saw a whole bunch of articles on Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then, of course, he never really thanked me, but now you don't even see him anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> You've so, taken over. So I, for context for folks, the, the, the reason we're talking to you today is, is well, well, one thing, we, we just recently did an episode on IVF. Um, and the process of IVF, because Taylor here is is soon to be a father um, and went through the process of IVF with his partner, Kyla. And so we've been kind of going down this rabbit hole of of um, of pregnancy and and IVF and and, you know, fertility, fertility and, and all the issues that come with it. But um, the this whole, you know, this whole moniker Sperminator 
um, was given to you, Ari, because you, you're, is this like a, a technical term? Like you are considered a super donor, uh, someone who has donated a very high volume of sperm for, for, um, for people who are looking to get pregnant that are having difficulties getting pregnant, I guess. Can you, can you kind of explain to us like where this all kind of comes from and, and how you found yourself to be in this position? Uh, you know, I, I, I was really having maybe one, two or three kids a year for, you know, the first uh, seven or so years. And then it really wasn't until the New York Post put me on the cover five years ago that I started to have a lot more children uh, per year. Maybe it became a, a, a super donor, as you would call it. Uh, this year I had, I had 28 kids so far in 2021. But the year <laughs> is not over yet because uh, we got a couple more due dates coming up. Um, have um have a woman in New York, so I'll probably be there for the delivery for that. And then uh, her due date is actually December thirtieth. I have a fifty-year-old woman that uh, her due date is uh, January thirteenth, but I don't think she's going to make uh, her due date because generally at that age they might take it early. So that I might also be a uh, twenty twenty-one baby. Wow, well, Ari, where does this where does this where does sperm donation start for you? What what like what is what is the origin story of of, you know, is it as simple as going, hey, I think I'll donate some sperm just because you f- feel like it's a good idea or wh- like, what is that? Yeah. What, what happened? You know, there? I had a, I had a five-year-old, you know, that, that just from a, uh, a woman that I met in a club and we weren't really, you know, um, dating very long. I knew her for a few weeks and we were dating casually, I would call it. And then uh, we had a bit of an accident who, of course, I love him very much. He doesn't like when I call him an accident, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So national TV, I might've mentioned on Dr. Oz that he, you know, he was an accident, but you know, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, get over it. Right. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. I also gave him a hundred brothers and sisters, you know, like, you know, why don't you look at that? Yeah. Yeah, well, on the I, negative? I, I guess, I mean, if he's how old is he now is he five now he's 18 he was five at the time but 18 of course, though he he must now realize or appreciate the fact that you know dating someone for a couple weeks and you know things don't necessarily go as planned uh, an accident happens if you will then yeah, yeah. exactly correct <laughs> um he just uh my sister was going to Costa Rica on vacation and I was in Israel uh, last month and um, she asked if she could borrow a phone that would work in Costa Rica. So I said, Tyler, can you loan her an old phone for a few weeks, you know, like an unlocked phone that she'd be able to use in Costa Rica. So he lent her his um, old phone. And of course uh, my sister was also using this iPhone 13 to take pictures, but uh, uh, she's scrolling through the pictures and apparently my son had a couple of videos on there as well. Uh (laughs) So so it sounds like the apple's not falling too far from the tree. (laughs) so so it was a little dark i couldn't tell if there was protection there or not but um back to the story you were you you had this you had this five-year-old at the time correct and And then i was on craigslist which is just like a classified ad nobody really uses it anymore but at the time i was i found my housekeeper on craigslist and i sold my old motorcycle on craigslist and that's where i come across an ad of you know someone looking for a sperm donor and um they weren't really looking for, uh, it was actually t- t- two ads and, and they were both looking for a donor and they both lived in Manhattan and they lived near each other, but they couldn't be more different because, uh, but, but very 
indicative of probably most of my future donations. One was a single woman whose biological clock was ticking. She was already in her 40s. And the other one was a lesbian couple. And uh, I have those two boys who are both 13 years old that were my first uh, two donations. And of course, uh, it, it was funny because the lesbian couple, I ended up conceiving the old fashioned way. And then the single heterosexual woman, we ended up using a clinic. So it was the exact opposite of what you may have thought. But just because of age, she was a little too old to conceive on her own. So we needed that IVF. <clears throat> And um, she's a, uh, she was a single Jewish woman, so she wanted to get married so that the child will be accepted in the community. Mm. He's currently living in Israel and in a very religious, devout community, so she felt like maybe that marriage would help him in case he uh, wants to be a part of that community when he grows up. You know, he'll be able to be accepted in the community. And then, of course, the lesbian couple was uh, in a committed relationship for 16 years, and uh, they had... Um, some boys, they wanted a girl. Um, and then the father of their other children died. So they asked me for help. And, you know, it, so it started with those two when the kids were happy and the moms were very, very happy. And, you know, so you do it again. I had an ex-girlfriend who reached out to me, said, oh, I heard what you did for the lesbian couple. Can you do the same for me? Because my biological clock was ticking. And then maybe the lesbian told their friends and it was mm. uh, growing slowly, but surely and the, the word of mouth uh, uh, mostly. But of course, now they Google Sperminator and um, the, the first, you know, first page <laughs> so <laughs> if you google I, I, uh, free sperm uh, nyc then you see me there right at the <laughs> top I, I mean i have so many questions that, that I, I guess the the first one is um is you know like you have you're coming up on what 100 biological children now uh, i'm at 103 currently 103 uh, okay so out of those 103 pregnancies I can't believe it. Well, so, there were seven sets of twins. So not all oh, were not. Okay, sure, pregnancies. sure, sure. So yeah. out of that, a nearly 100 pregnancies. Fuck. Um, That's crazy. What, there were more pregnancies because some of them miscarried. But okay. Right, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, so so then out of out of all of this process, um, how how much does the does the like the interaction slash like um closeness with the the biological mother vary right so so it seems it seems like i mean the, something that actually has surprised me because i i didn't even realize that this would be a thing but like at the very beginning of the conversation you said that you might attend the 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 birth of um one of the children that you've you've helped conceive and so um i guess i was coming in because I, I really know nothing about the world of sperm donation I, I for some reason I th I think I had this like this this understanding that it was all like oftentimes very anonymous. Like you go in, you donate. You go in, clinic. you come into a cup, and then you give the cup to someone, and then that your sperm gets you right. know mm -hmm. you like consent processed. to it being yeah. chosen by somebody down the line. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm I'm kind of curious, like out of all the pregnancies that you've been a part of, how often are you? involved in that process from insemination right up to the birth and beyond yeah it's funny because people often ask like wait a minute what are you doing this is crazy why don't you just do it the normal way you know go to a clinic donate like like a normal person you know that's the traditional route but there's nothing normal or traditional about that method because 
that's anonymous. So that means that these mothers are choosing the father of their child without ever getting to have a cup of coffee with me. I mean, we've had a more of a conversation right now in our first conversation, five minutes, and you got to know me better than you would get to know. And then you have to choose, all right, do you want to be the father of your child? But that's only part of it because then the child suffers with identity issues because the child never gets to know who the father is. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, sometimes there's open donation, which means when the kid's 18, Maybe he'll be able to find out who his father is because it's still then a maybe because, you know, an email will be generated. And as long as the guy didn't change his email in the past 18 years, you know, and it has to be done through the clinic. So it's anonymous and hopefully he didn't move and the address is still current. And of course, you know, then he's already an adult, you know, but when the the formative years, when the child's eight years old and asking who's my dad, you know, and looking around, you know, a lot of the women that reached out to me uh, had such a close relationship with their dad that for them, they weren't able to just physically do it uh, mentally. It just didn't make sense to them that, wait a minute, I had such a close relationship with my dad and now my child's never going to get to know who their father was. So they felt much more comfortable being able to get someone who the child will get mm-hmm. to know. And if the child has any questions, then they'll be able to just point the, you know, give them my number kind of thing, mm-hmm. or, or I'll be able to play a role in raising them. And it varies. So we have a hundred kids. We've got a hundred uh, different uh, families and what's right for one may not be right for the other. And not only that, but it's very dynamic. So it changes all the time. A lot of times, uh, you know, I had moms that weren't really interested in me playing a role, uh, but then, you know, the pandemic hit and their daycare was closed and they were like, uh, let's call Ari. Maybe he could babysit, you know? So they were like, <laughs> Oh, I got to babysit twice a week. It was so funny because, you know, I'm here. I am living this carefree life. But then of course I had to like, uh, I was going away on vacation. I had to find coverage of who's going to cover my, uh, babysitting i had to switch days with people of like normal parents uh, um so it varies in that you know the ball's always in their court so some of the kids i haven't met and some of them i see all the time um uh, how many do you see all the time yeah just, like how do you like, have time to- how do you have yeah. time for that because there's, <laughs> yeah. there's so many parents who have like one yeah. kid and they're like oh well that's just too much <laughs> you have a uh, hundred kids that you could potentially be involved in their life in different ways like how do you have the time uh, you know it's funny because uh you know, yesterday I booked a ticket to Florida. You know, I have 12 kids in Florida. I'm going to go to Florida for a week or two or three. I don't know. It's cold here. I'm just going to go to Florida. So I'm picking up and I'm going to Florida, you know? And then it's uh, always uncomfortable that people are asking me, how do you have the time? And I'm like, no, you know, one mother who has one kid has less free time than I have because, uh, you know, I could go pick up the Florida. I don't need to hire a babysitter. I don't need to find any right, coverage. Yeah. I'm just going to go. I'm taking my my 18-year-old with me. We're going to go party like rock stars in South Beach and have a good time and enjoy the weather. Uh, um, but the mother who wouldn't be able to do that, you know, the kid's in right. school. So we got to wait for, you know, right before Christmas to fly out. And then <laughs> that's you know brutal here. I paid less than 50 bucks for my flight. So uh, <laughs> the free time, no. I think the, those are the questions that probably should be directed towards the uh, moms who uh, really struggle with the, you know, time management uh, for me. Um, if I want to play a role, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the mother has to invite me and want me to play a role. But in the end, ultimately, it's generally not uh, uh, on a day to day or I take the kid to school every day. It's, uh, you know, when I'm free and they understand that they understand that I have over 100 kids and, uh, you know, right. Yeah, totally. uh, but I have 12 kids in Florida. I'm going to try and get to see is I have a baby shower on Friday. So maybe I'll go to the baby shower. Of course, that's in Orlando. But I have kids in Jacksonville, of uh, Palm Beach, Sarasota. These are just different cities in uh, Florida. So, uh, mm. so, you know, but um, in the winter, I, I try and visit them. <laughs> but of course, I have, today I have a birthday in uh, Connecticut. Uh, winter, happy birthday. She's turning three. Uh. Yesterday I had uh, Eli turn two in Nashville, Tennessee. So it's like, 
I don't know. It's like an hour and a half drive to Bridgeport if I wanted to go visit Winter for her birthday. But then it's untenable because I have two birthdays a week on average, you know, with over 100 kids. You're going to have two birthdays, but uh, I'm going to have an actual birthday every other week because I have 18 women pregnant. So, yeah, uh, it's it's I bit off more than I can chew. And it it worries me that am I making the right decision? Am I really going to be able to be a positive role in all these children's lives? Um, and next week, uh, actually, a week from today is Nova's turning three. And then um, a week from Thursday, uh, Adonis, happy birthday. He's turning three as well in Delaware. And the, the Nova's in Massachusetts. And then, of course, today is in Connecticut. And yesterday was in Nashville. These are cities all across the, the United States. It wouldn't be tenable for me to be. Yeah. I need Delta to, like, sponsor me so yeah, that I could just no. go to all the birthdays. I'll never miss <laughs> your, another birthday. Your, your calendar <laughs> notifications would give me massive anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Ari, you're a... Uh... Ari, I love look, you. You're such a, a sweet. Look, you're is, such a sweet dad. This is a. This is an incredible. This is just hearing what I take. I'm taking notes for like for some bits that we're going to use. You know, after this is done, when we release the episode, and I'm writing down. And I wrote down insanity of how many birthdays there are. Like, and I with a time with a timestamp that so that I can go and and clip this later. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. to myself, like how incredible. I'm being. I'm. I'm moment to moment blown away by how you just rattled through all that and, and your 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 memory and the and the obviousness with which you care mm-hmm. about. I, I, well, I, I, it gets I, more complicated because uh, December 19th, that's going to be the big one. I have four birthdays on the exact same day. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> the kids are all different ages uh, in different states, you know, but uh, that's my number one day for birthdays. Like it's hi- <laughs> it's highlighting. You know, I never I I didn't really think. Like Jer said earlier, my idea of sperm donation was the the quote unquote normal, which you kind of highlighted as being very unnormal, very abnormal that it's this anonymous thing and everything because you because you you're involved and you care so much. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering that when the decision is made in 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 the the, the varied involvement that you have with all of your children, in the instances where a where somebody is not so keen on you being involved in their life, how does that affect you? How does that, how does that affect you? Like, how do you approach that conversation and that decision-making? And if it is ultimately that you're not going to be that involved or um, present or maybe not involved at all in that, in that children's life, how does that affect you? Yeah, well, if I had one child, I think that could be quite traumatizing. But when you have over a hundred, you you know, you have difficulty keeping up with the hundred that you already have. If there's a woman that says, "Listen, uh, we want your help uh, to grow our family," but uh, you know, we don't really want you to play a role. I'm like, yeah, that's totally fine. You know, I'm already uh, stretched pretty thin. So uh, uh, the, the, ultimately, the decision's always in their court. And some people criticize me because. They say, wait a minute, but, you know, it's over 100. That's getting ridiculous. You know, how, how do you, but it's the fact that, you know, the here's the issue. Donor-conceived children, generally, in the when they was done through a bank, it, historically, they all wish that their donor did not have so many children. They wish that there were limits on the amount of children that they had, right? So are my kids going to grow up and then say, hey, wait a minute, why am I sharing them with over 100 different uh, families, you know, that's not fair. Why did he do that to me? I want my father to walk me down the aisle. Is he going to have another wedding that day? You know, and now I got to coordinate, you know, like mm-hmm. I want him there for my graduation. Why, why, why do I have? And so that's generally the consensus of donor conceived children is that they wish that their donor uh, cut them off. But it's the fact that I have so many that I think makes it much more appealing for so many of the women that are reaching out to me because if I had one child and then they wanted to have 
full custodial control of that child, well, that could be a difficult uh, decision. But the fact that I have a hundred and that they understand that, uh, you know, I'm not going to file for custody of all of these hundred children. And that's the thing that most, uh, that's what they lose sleep over at night. They could choose because they're choosing me. Right. And then at at any point in time, I could always go to family court and say, all right, I want custody, you know, and the, the, the thing that's most precious to them could get taken away, even though that wasn't the arrangement. That's still something I could do, because when you do it this unorthodox way, uh, there is no legal protections. When you go to the clinic and you do it the anonymous way, they're getting those protections of this donor is never going to be able to take our child away from me because we don't know who he is and he doesn't know who we are. In fact, nobody knows. Nobody even knows how many children were conceived from the donor. There's really no way to reach each other. Um, So they have that protection. So I think by the fact that I have so many children, they feel much more comfortable that they're going to be protected as well. Ari, do you, do you find yourself having to educate um, like parents that come to you who are looking to use your sperm to conceive? Do you find that you have to oftentimes educate them on these different types of things? Because I think of that because if I couldn't have a kid and uh, I wanted to use your sperm and I have never been down this uh, journey before, been down this road before, there's a lot of things that I probably wouldn't think about. But because you've been through it so many times, there's probably a, a lot of um, unique perspective that you could offer and sort of help educate a potential couple or or single person who's who's going down this road. Do you find yourself playing that role a lot? Yes, yeah, certainly, because um, it, it's a lonely road. I mean, it's it's one thing if it's a lesbian couple and they got to jump through hoops, you know, that mm-hmm. traditional heterosexual couples don't have to go through, you know? So it's really an equality type of issue where if they go to the doctor and they say, we're a lesbian couple and uh, we want to use Ari's sperm, that's barely allowed. It's extremely challenging. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. generally, uh, I would advise them that let's just go as partners and pretend that we're partners. And then the, uh, even though we know we're not partners, you have a partner. It, it, so there's a lot of advice about navigating the system, even though technically in the U.S. it's the wild west of fertility. Everything's legal. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it makes it a lot more complicated uh, mm-hmm. if I went as a donor, even though it's allowed, I would have to get special donor testing. Well, that's a thousand dollars. My insurance isn't going to cover that. Uh, but if I go as a partner, well, then my insurance will cover all the tests and it's going to be the same kind of test. It's just, it's just going to be covered. So there's different ways that I'll navigate uh, that route. But but when it's a single woman, it's no less different. Uh, uh, It's a lonely road fertility and it's very, very challenging. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of failed cycles, you know? And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, all the time I'm advising. Are you you submitting a fuckload of insurance claims uh, all all the time? Well, not so much because, you know, they want to test usually within the past six months and that's really all I'm using my insurance for, you know, some infectious (laughs) disease testing. Uh, uh, So no, not really, because even though I have great insurance, uh, but the truth is, is that I do offer them if they want me to put their child on my uh, insurance policy, I could always add a child for free. So um, I I offer that to all the uh, moms and some of them take me up on it. Some of them don't. Ari, do you, um, um, do you find just having recently gone through, uh, IVF with my, with my wife, um, and understanding the challenges that come with IVF and, you know, the, the drug treatment and the, the emotions that come along with that and sort of like the roller coaster ride with the egg retrieval and all the, do you, how, uh, 
if you're especially if you are if especially if you are working with um a single woman um do you find yourself ever at like a at odds or at conflict with with your capacity to be supportive with that person or or does that does that support role get filled by you know like friends and family of that person rather than you like or is it a mix how does that how does that work you know it, you a lot of families there so it's a lot of stories every single one has a you know i'm playing a different role uh some of them are very close with their mom so then when they're coming to pick up the sperm from me their mom's in tow you know uh and then others are not telling their mom and the whole thing's a big secret because you know it's a very personal private matter and they don't want anyone to know so it varies uh, for all the different families and then of course the advice is going to vary for every different country uh so the laws in every country are different and uh the longer I'm doing this, the more I realize how little I know, not only about the medical procedures, because there's so many different little things that, that can go wrong, but then every single country, some countries you have to be married in order to use a fertility clinic. Um, mm. And then in other countries, uh, you don't. So sometimes I'll end up marrying the woman and we, we end up becoming very, very close. And then other times uh, we're just trying on our own because a clinic isn't necessary. And I see them one time and then mm. sometimes we'll never see them again. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. You are you mentioned um that like you first got into this because you saw an ad on Craigslist. Um do you get compensated for for these uh relationships? Uh, no, I, I never uh, charged any of the women that I'm helping. I'm, I'm okay. getting I think the exact same thing I'm getting from this uh podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah, zero some good conversation uh, but you know and people always struggle to understand my motivation they're like well then why do you do it you know why don't you charge a hundred dollars and then uh, you know you you know it makes more sense like somehow a hundred dollars would you know help un them understand my motivation for why i'm doing what i'm doing but you know what i get out of it is worth so much more because yeah. uh they don't look to me as as a donor many of these women really yeah. look to me as family and they're forever grateful um for the rest of their lives uh, for me being able to give them the, the, their life's greatest purpose and knowing i was able to help play a role yeah. in growing so many of these beautiful families i think is uh worth much more than maybe the hundred dollars man charged. i did not expect this to be such a fucking heartwarming no, story neither did I. And, how, <laughs> and how did that how did that shift from the craigslist from the decision to do it from a craigslist ad till now and you know in between how did that how did your is that the exact same as your motivation from the very beginning the same as it is now or how did it shift and evolve as 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 you started to do it more and more yeah, I think it, in some ways it did because, you know, I mean, when I started, I had one child, right? And I'm from a big family and there was a desire not only to help these women grow their families, but also I wanted to grow my family as well. You know, I have a son, I wanted a daughter, you know? Of course, my first five children were boys, but, 
you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, once you're getting 10 or 20 or 30 kids, you know, the desire to grow my family is not there anymore. Uh, no, I don't need any more children. <laughs> so I go, when is going to be enough for you? And it's like, well, it's not about how many kids I have. I mean, this, I, I'm helping a, a couple today from Jersey City. Um, and uh, her, her, it's a lesbian couple. Her spouse is pregnant, and now she wants to get pregnant too. They're going to want to do it together, so they'll both raise the kids together. Wow. Uh, it'll be their first child for both of them. So neither of them have any children, you know. So uh, I could tell them, well, listen, I have 103 children. I have 18 women pregnant. I don't really want any more children. And but that—that's not really, you know, the number that I have is not really, uh, you know, important to them. For them, what's important is, well, we just want our one child. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. have a an ultimate? goal like an ultimate number like are you like once i hit 250 yeah i mean whatever number i had i passed it (laughs) (laughs) i mean the number that i'm focused on is not the number of children that i have uh the the number that i'm focused on is my age i'm 46 years old and Mm. uh you know i'm too old to be jerking off in target restrooms that's just you know (laughs) i I don't know if there's ever an age where that's appropriate you know (laughs) i mean the truth is this couple from jersey city was like can you just come to us you know we get out of work at four you know which is like the height of rush hour traffic they're like come to us today at four o'clock and i'm like that's that's gonna be i'm gonna be sitting in terrible traffic even though it's a 25 minute ride you know leaving at four o'clock this could be an hour and a half so i'm like let's just meet halfway you'll take the train hey i'll take the train there so we're meeting at the train station at the world trade center actually because that's that's like exactly halfway for each of us. Okay. It'll take each of us around 30 minutes to get there. And uh, we're going to end up using a public restroom. And I'm sure it's not appropriate, but, you know, it's uh, ultimately untenable. If I was just I was spent all day traveling in the car uh, going. So <laughs> that's just why we end up often using public restrooms. There's never really an appropriate, uh, I think, age to be um, uh, ejaculating in public restrooms. But uh, certainly 46 is uh, there. And I, I think there's a the, the problem is that there's an increased health risks, I think, mm-hmm. as I get older. So some studies maybe link autism to the age of the male. So at a certain point in time, uh, you know, it's probably best for them to find somebody younger. So I'm I'm not going to be doing this when I'm in my 50s. And, you know, it's funny because last month I have this 50-year-old woman and she's due January 13th. And uh, her mother wanted to meet me. So I went to her mother's house uh, who cooked us lunch. And uh, she asked me the exact same question, like, when are you going to stop? And I said, well, listen, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 50. And then, of course, sitting right next to me was her daughter, who's 50 years old and having her first child. And I realized, well, that's probably not the best answer. But yeah. Yeah. Hold on. I got to I just got to like confirm something here. So so sometimes not always like uh, you are. Sorry, what I I, what I I have gathered is that sometimes you are you're inseminating. You are going through the insemination process through actual intercourse, like the old fashioned way. Sometimes you are, um, I guess what, like donating it to them in a, in a, uh, cup for, you know, for them to, I don't even, I, I actually don't even go, know how go, go to take a, to the go clinic. To clinic. Yeah. Go, go to a yeah. clinic. I guess like a, a, like a proper okay. cup. Yeah, I have 18 women, uh, pregnant right now. Right. So, right. uh, 13 of them, Oh, didn't use a clinic at all. I just put the sperm in a cup and then they put it inside. Not this cup. Yeah, this is my sure. coffee cup. But that's how most of them uh, did it. And then, of course, uh, the the other five ended up using a uh, clinic to conceive, sometimes just because of the distance or because of, they had good insurance or because of their age. Uh, okay. They okay. needed to use a clinic. But the, I didn't end up having sex with any of them. 
Oh, so that, oh, so that, so that's not yeah. a, so okay, it, okay. It, it's happened. So some of my children were conceived, but the last child that was conceived the old fashioned way is one years old right now. But then the gotcha. one before that is, um, four years old. So it happens. It's just not that often. So uh, you're, you're coming into a cup, like, like you said, you're coming into a cup, you know, at the world trade and convention center. I'm going to hand it to them. They're going to put it inside right then and there. It's yeah, right. more often wow. than not, we end up using a menstrual cup. It costs less than a dollar. Women use it for their period and it just holds the blood from yeah, spilling like a out. Diva cup. Yeah. Like a diva cup. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll put the sperm in the diva cup and then they'll put the diva cup inside and then they go about their business. And then a couple hours later, they take it out and wow. then we'll do that each month when they're fertile till they're pregnant. And uh, it wow. works just the same as the old fashioned way. And of course, you know, listen, sometimes they just say, well, I want to do it the old fashioned way. But the problem is, is that if I'm helping more than one woman a week, uh, that could be very, very challenging because yeah. uh, there's no way for me to protect these other women if I'm not protecting myself. So by putting it into a cup and then giving it to them, uh, you know, I could protect myself and as well as all the other women right. are helping. So sometimes if, a, if it's like I'm on vacation and I'm out of the country, well, then I could always get retested and maybe it's possible that I'd be able to, uh, you know, uh, do it the old fashioned way. But in the end, uh, right now uh, with 18 women pregnant, clearly I'm helping more than one woman a month. Yeah. So there's just no way for me to have unprotected sex while still protecting all these other women. Can mm. we uh, can we take a moment to talk about the sperm uh, shortage that was kind of like a nationwide thing? Um, I'm guessing in, like, in, in 2020, 2020, 2021, um, and how, how Facebook groups have been playing like a, quite a big role in terms of people having access to folks like yourself who are willing to donate in this unorthodox way yep there's a uh, facebook groups there's um you know apps you could download like tinder type apps where you swipe left swipe right uh, um you know i think even if you have insurance uh it, you know it's still very expensive because you still have to purchase the sperm and the vast majority of the women that are reaching out to me didn't have to pay anything. They, for mm -hmm. less than a dollar, they're buying this diva cup and then they're able to have their baby, you know? And people always say, well, if they don't have money for to make the baby, maybe they shouldn't be having children, but it's the exact opposite because the money that they're saving is money that they'd then be able to use to help uh, raise the child. I had twins last month in uh, Hungary. And of course we had to use a clinic and she exhausted all her funds at the fertility clinic. Uh, and then now she has these twins and she has to struggle to try and raise them. And all of her money went to the doctors uh, to make the baby. So uh, if they're able to avoid the clinic and then do it in this uh, less traditional route, ultimately in the end, uh, because insurance coverage is only going to cover uh, the doctor, uh, but it's not covering the sperm mm -hmm. itself. And the, the vast majority of the time, it's not working the first time. When you do IUI, it works maybe 8% of the time. And that's yeah, with the doctor. Really well. So it, it, that's a 92% failure rate. You basically got to count on trying it 10 times. Well, if you take medication, it could go up to 15%. Uh, and each time you're spending over $1,000 for the sperm, it, well, that could add up very, very quickly. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is quite, um, quite interesting how, I mean, I, 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 from the medical side, like I, 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 the way that I understand it is that the, the idea is you, you go with the least invasive, you go from least invasive to most invasive, but then at the same, at the same time, the least invasive procedures are the least uh, effective procedures. And then it can be a total money drain by the time you get to the part of the procedure that has the best success rate. It's also the most expensive. And, you know, do you have enough money? And then mm -hmm. ultimately, do you have enough money for, for your children? Um, 
Ari, do you have, and especially when this New York, when this New York Post article came out and and you know dubbed dubbed you the Spermanator, what are your what are your what kind of critics do you have, and what do they say to to what you're or are there or are there critics? Are there people out there that are saying you're responsible or uh, I don't know reckless or just because it's it's outside of the outside of the orthodoxy in terms of sperm donation? Yeah. <laughs> My mother, she's a critic. <laughs> you know, the first question, uh, you know, a lot of these women ask me, uh, you know, is like, oh, did you have any mental illnesses that we should be aware of? And I'm like, well, my mother thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, I have four brothers and two sisters. They're all married in very traditional relationships. I have 27 and a half nieces and nephews that are all conceived in very traditional way. And my mother just wants me to just, uh, you know, be normal like them, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, that I don't need to go too far. I don't need to go to Twitter to find someone commenting about critics. Yeah. I got critics, uh, you know, right and left, you know, and I I don't need to look further than my family. And sometimes even the other moms who, you know, feel like, all right, maybe enough is enough. You know, obviously sometimes it transitions, the vast majority of them are supportive, but, uh, uh, I'll take it further. You know, I have over 100 kids. I'm sure they're going to be critics as well. I'm Mm. sure a lot of them are not going to appreciate the fact that I had so many. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of them that are going to appreciate having so many brothers and sisters. So uh, it'll vary. Um, Mm. In the end of, you know, online. Yeah, of course, there's critics, you know, but I'm not one of those people that say, well, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. You know, I'm going to do me. Uh, Ultimately, their opinions matter. But the opinions that matter most are obviously the people that love me and care about me or the people that are close to me, the people that have met me. And I think when a random stranger reads an article in the New York Post and then wants to comment on it, maybe message me some, you know, hateful comments. But, you know, I almost can't blame them because, of course, you know, it's a tabloid. So they're not really uh, portraying it in a positive light anyway. Yeah. They sensationalize it as much as possible. Uh, but a lot of those comments are really commenting on the kind of person uh, that, the, that the person is commenting is making about himself and not about me because they never met me and they don't know me. So then they want to, you know, say what, it, you know, oh, well, these boys and girls are going to, you know, have sex with each other, you know, and then they, they're going to make children that are going to be screwed up. Like, like my kids are going to somehow marry each other. I, I think, uh, you know, you could see the negative in any kind of situation, but I don't think, uh, uh it has anything uh, to do with me. I think a lot of people uh, see the beauty in what I'm doing and generally mm-hmm. that has very little to do with me as well. I think yeah. uh, beautiful people do see the beauty in others. And, uh, and then you have these uh, people that see, you know, uh, just the negatives and everything. And I think they're just commenting on about the kind of person that they are. Have, have you, in terms of what you had mentioned about, you know, these children growing up and maybe one day taking issue with um, the amount of brothers and sisters that they have and, and maybe holding some sort of resentment or, or, you know, um, questions for you. Like, have you, have you put much thought into how you, will likely handle those those situations and those conversations that are that are you know possible in the future to be having it's possible it's happened already you know i got i got my uh son of virginia says oh can you come to my basketball game uh this week and i'm like yeah it's 
happens. <laughs> I can't, you know, he's getting upset. You know, I don't need to worry about the future. It's happening today. You know, I'm not going to be able to be present in, in all of their lives. And, and so how do you, how that. do you manage those, how do you manage those yeah. relationships and those conversations? Well, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, I'm not anyone's, uh, first choice. I'm well aware of that. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure these lesbian couples wish they could have just chosen each other and somehow the science could have worked out where they could start a family without me. You know, yeah. uh, but the, the the option B generally was choosing an anonymous sperm donor from a clinic who would have been anonymous. So any role I play, uh, however limited, is always going to be able to be better than this anonymous sperm donor that they would have uh, ended up choosing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it bothers me that I'll visit, my, you know, a three year old girl and she'll cry when I leave. And then when is she going to see me next? You know, I was in uh, Florida last month and I was visiting my daughter from Jacksonville and, you know, I went for like 36 hours and the the grandma who lives with them saying, hey, why don't you stay for the week, you know, because, you know, we all enjoy your company and, you know, she loves you and we just love having you. Uh, Why don't you stay for the week? But if I stay a week by each of my children, then I can't come back to visit her for another two years, you know, and then that means until she's 18, I only see her, you know, nine times and that's not but tenable, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, I end up doing these short visits and uh, it, it, I, I'm not talking her into bed at night and telling her bedtime stories, you know, like, like you might, like most fathers are, and I'll never be as good of a father to my children as, uh, you know, my father was to me either financially or, uh, or emotionally, uh, you know, who's still there to this day. Um, and I think it's only going to get worse because, uh, you know, little kids have little problems. If my daughter's crying when I'm leaving, you know, you could give them a lolly and, you know, most of the problems will be solved with, you know, with a little candy or toy. Mm. Uh, but th- as they get older, I think the problems are more complex and uh, a lot more challenging to solve. And so, uh, you know, I, I do uh, think that there will be kids, there are kids today that are already going to resent it. But, uh, you know, at mm. least they know who to be upset at. Okay. They want to be upset. All right. I'm here. I'm sorry. I could tell them how much I love them and they'll know how much I love them, even if I can't be there for their basketball game. Uh, but they won't suffer with identity issues of never knowing who their father is going to be or who we, because you could walk around, you know, some of the women that reached out to me were close to their uh, father, like I explained, but some of them didn't know who their father was. And they still struggle to this day of just walking around the street saying, maybe that's my dad, you know, and they started having dreams about who their dad might be, you know, and they said, well, I'm not going to have my son go through that. I want to make sure my son knows who their father is. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to Bridgeport today for my daughter's birthday. I'm not sure, but I'll definitely put in a call and uh, let her know how much I love her. And, uh, you know, the mom asked me, can I pick up a couple kids and uh, bring them to Connecticut to, to celebrate her birthday with her? You know, <laughs> maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I'm not sure. <laughs> I have this couple that's ovulating in Jersey City. So I really got to make the decision. Well, do I go to the Jersey City and help this woman create a family there? Or do I go to Connecticut? And sometimes mm-hmm. it's one or the other. And- yeah, yeah. Man, Ari, I'm I'm enamored by your your like thoughtfulness and and selflessness and in, in doing this. Um, I I I I can't help but think like is is there times when uh people have approached you to to uh, donate for them and you felt like it it just like maybe isn't the right fit or maybe they're not in it for the right reasons uh, you, or, you know yeah. i have over 100 kids so i'm, I'm not that discriminating you know? I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not running their credit to make sure they got good credit i don't know how many kids i'd have no, I no, i'm just well, i'm curious if yeah. you've ever had like a single incident yeah. where you're like ah, i just feel like this isn't yeah a i had um i had a woman who um 
is that all right? Come meet me. Uh, let's meet. You know, uh, I, I live. I'm living in my car. You know, can you come to my car? And we're gonna inseminate in the car. You know, and I'm like, where are you gonna raise the kid in the back seat? You know, it's like, what? You're living in a car? She was like, well, it's not my car. It's my friend's car. They're letting me stay here. And I'm like, well, but I don't know if that's really the best uh, scenario. But yeah. those are really the types yeah. of uh, decisions I make. I'm going to help whoever asks uh, yeah. in the end um, if they want a baby. And she has a baby now. She has an apartment. She has a baby. She figured it out. It's working. And the baby's mm. doing very well. Uh, she's an anti-vaxxer. So that troubles me more than maybe her living situation does. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that that's her call, you know, so yeah. they make 100% of the parenting decisions, whether I agree with them or not, but she's also doing 100% of the diaper changes. So, you know, you can't really uh, criticize, <laughs> but I've never said no to anyone. No, I try and help whoever asks. That being yeah. said, I used to help any age and I still do that. I had a, um, last month, I had a 52 year old woman who gave birth. Oh. Um, but if she would have asked me, can we try on our own first? Then I would have said, well, no. Uh, we're going to need to use a clinic. So uh, whereas maybe 10 years ago when I started, when I was well, earlier on, I was helping anybody for any age, but it was just a lot of heartache because the chance of conceiving is about the same as winning the Mega Millions lottery ticket. So me trying each month and then them crying when their period comes. And I'm like, listen, we need to. Uh, so the, the advice I give would be, listen, I'll help any age, but if you're in your forties, I try and steer them to a clinic rather than us trying on our own. And sometimes they have insurance and it's covered. And if they're not, then I tell them how to get insurance. You know, you can get a part-time job at Starbucks and then you'll get fertility coverage or I'll advise them, let's go abroad because doctors and um, fertility doctors in the U.S. make a million dollars a year, but in other countries, they're not making a million dollars a year. So we could go to Ukraine or we can go to Russia or we can go to mm -hmm. Greece or we can go to Spain or Mexico. So I've been to all of these places just to very often with women who just live up the block from me, but you know, it's always cheaper to go abroad uh, rather than try the cycles here in the United States if they don't have insurance. Mm. Do you ever have, um, uh, what, what are the conversations like in, in terms of um, like your, like who you are biologically? Like I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, I'm picturing a scene in some show or movie where there's a couple and they're going to be using a sperm donor and it's at a bank and they're kind of, they've got, they've got like a table with files strewn all over it and they're picking through and going, Oh, well, this guy's got blue eyes. This guy's got green eyes. This guy's five ten This guy's six, two, this guy's got an IQ of X and Y and Z and blah, 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 blah. blah. And they're all, they're doing and they're all different these. prices too. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. he's got a better sperm count than he went to college. So that's going to be expensive. And then the different right. races are different prices as well. It's, it's very, very uh, weird. Yeah. And I, so I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm picturing this, this like scene in my head and I'm wondering what that, what, what, if any of that conversation is happening between you and the, and the, and the people that you're working with um, in terms of like, or, or it, you know, is it, is it as simple as, you know, do you have cancer in your family or, 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 you know, like what's the medical history? Yeah. Like you had mentioned the mental health question before, but like, are the, do you get many other types of questions yeah. like that? Uh, some ask a lot of questions, obviously my STD, they would want to know, you know, mm -hmm. uh, show them a recent, uh, test result. Uh, and then some don't ask any questions at all. You know, when you're giving away something for free, you know, people sometimes just take it. <laughs> I'm asking so many <laughs> questions. Uh, last month I went on a cruise and, uh, People kept on asking me, where's the cruise going to? I was like, I don't know. Someone offered me a free cruise. I took it. You know, I didn't ask any questions. I'm like, yeah, let's go. It's free. 
Okay, I'll take it. So uh, some of them don't. And then others, you know, they already did all their, you know, they're Googling me and they see interviews with other moms online. So then, you know, they feel a lot more comfortable. Maybe they might have done the research before they met me and they asked other moms uh, different questions. I mean, the proof is a lot of it's physical sometimes, you know, if there's a lesbian couple and then one of them's carrying. So then they want me to look as much uh, like the partner, you know, so sometimes they'll choose me just because of physical appearance. And sometimes they choose me because I'm a math professor. So they want someone who's good at math or, you know, I'm tall. So they want someone who's tall or, uh, you know, sometimes it's deeper than that. They say, oh, well, you have a very big heart and we want our child to have a very big heart as well. So you're very kind. We want our child to be kind. I don't know if it works that way. My mother's not so kind to me, even though I love her very much. (laughs) So I don't know if kindness is hereditary. Uh, Um, uh, You know, I think the one attribute uh, that I want to give to my children, it's not my blue eyes, you know, or, or my height or my math skills. In the end, I'm a happy person, you know, and yeah. uh, I think in many ways that is hereditary, uh, yeah. you know, and I want my kids to be happy. So I don't care um, if they're good at math. I just want them to be happy. I think that's all you really want for your children. Um, well, fuck me, man. You're I, hitting me right in the feelings. Yeah. <laughs> have, have you have you ever been a, have you ever been approached about a book or a movie or anything like I mean, this is a fucking story, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, it, I, when the, it, five years ago, when that New York Post article came out, they put me on the cover. I remember my first two calls. One was a porn industry. They wanted the Sperminator to do a porn, you know. Yeah, and I said, that's ridiculous. You know, of course not. I'm a college professor. I can't be doing porn. And then they sent me pictures of the models, and I was like, oh. There's a first for everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then one was a lawyer who said, Oh, yeah, we want to, uh, you know, let me represent you. I'll take 10% of this, 20% of that. But, you know, we want, I want you to write a book, you know? And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm busy writing a lot of Facebook uh, messages, <laughs> you know, yeah. to prospective women. So, yeah, like, I have difficulty already keeping up with them. Am I going to be able to write a book? I don't know. I, you know, I, I went to Yeshiva. I wasn't the best uh, elementary school. I don't, I don't know if I'm really qualified to write a book. I haven't read a book in a long time. I read mostly textbooks. So, it, you know, it's not something I'm proud of, but I, I should read more. But maybe maybe one of my kids will write a book. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could probably write a math textbook based on just the sheer numbers of the children you've had and turn that into some sort of elementary school, basic math, you know, probability. Yeah, yeah, sure. Fuck not. There's big money and big money in uh, textbooks. Ari, I got to say, man, this this has been, um, this has been one of the most interesting routine checkup episodes. uh, I think we've had to date. Um, These, these episodes that come out on Wednesday, you know, they, they span a very, vast variety of, of topics, but, um, this definitely for, for, for me stands at the top. This has just been so interesting to, to dive into. It's been such a pleasure to get, you know, just under an hour to talk to you. And, um, most certainly we're going to be following along with your, your journey. And and I'm putting a Google notification for your name every time it comes up, because I want to read every single article. Um, and, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with us about your uh, contributions to the world of sperm donation and everything that that has gone in mm. in in that uh, that that world because it's been super fascinating and for being so uh, for for demonstrating how how nuanced and mm-hmm. and and uh, and like 
much under there's so much under the surface of what of what like a news article headline can can portray about what you are up to i mean it's it's uh it's got a lot of depth to it and uh and i'm i thank you for enlightening me and enlightening all of our fans that are uh, and audience that are that are listening mm-hmm. oh you bet it was really a pleasure chatting you know it's the thing is it's really a new uh phenomenon because you know ivf didn't exist uh that long ago you know yeah, so yeah. i think there's uh so many more options uh that uh, women have and then of course social media didn't exist so I think if you if you were a lesbian couple in, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, there really wasn't a lot of options uh, for you to be able to find. You had to get people, uh, you know, you weren't able to have such a, uh, you know, choice. Uh, I think uh, bringing awareness to the different reproductive options that uh, women have, uh, you know, people are always saying how controversial it is. But in the end, ultimately, when you get down to it, it's really just two consenting adults, uh, you know, starting a family together. Yeah. Um, and I think what's controversial is uh, maybe the hoops that they have to jump through, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just to start that family. Why, why do we have to lie? You know, and I, I think all these problems are going to work themselves out. I think that it's, it's a new industry. So, uh, you know, the, the regulations uh, somehow are just not catching up, uh, but eventually uh, they will. And it's right now it's just so different wherever you go. I mean, forget about different countries and the different laws and the fact that I had to get married to women in other countries just so that we could go to the doctor and start a, a family together. Um, it, but even in the United States, we have 50 different states and that's 50 different laws, you know? So yeah, like donors yeah. may be protected in like California now, but, you know, doing it in this very untraditional way. But, uh, you know, it's not another. It's only 16 states mandate some type of insurance coverage for fertility. But, you know, you're out of luck if you're in one of the other 36 states. And um, of course, I don't have any uh, children in uh, Canada, but I do have uh, children in, uh, um, you know, five different continents. Uh, yeah, well, I have Europe, Africa, and uh, I have a woman pregnant in Australia, and uh, have in the Middle East, and uh, kids in Asia. Uh, but uh, we're going to break into the Canada Canada's market right after the they listen to the exactly, <laughs> yeah. But the, you know, it's always there. It's always like January, like, oh, I'm ovulating, and uh, you know, can you come out to the? And I'm like, wait a minute, why couldn't you ovulate in August? You know, like, what's this? <laughs> this, this like, why are you always ovulating in the freezing cold climates, and you're telling me to come out? Like, I know you ovulate every month, you know. Uh, <laughs> again, oh Ari, fun. thanks so much, man. This has been really fun. Okay, yeah, my pleasure. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.